turn up so you've got a front up and you know what if you feel crap just get your blackboard and write the list of what you've got to do each day and put one foot forward and follow the steps and those are the crap days and then the other days you ain't going to have to write that list because you're fired up but turn up turn up <laughs> turn up And welcome to Breaking Art, the podcast, the alchemy of creativity and commerce, where we discuss making art and making money. I've just spent the best part of last week in Hamilton. I was initially invited by Sarah to speak to a postgrad panel about, surprise, surprise, making art, making a living. This was fairly quickly hijacked to an invitation to speak at Spark, a festival of creative arts hosted by Wintech in its 20th year, and then invited to run a podcasting workshop, and then speak at a Pitch Kucha event and then give my presentation again to Rototuna High Schools. And of course, let's not forget that postgrad workshop. Big week. It was a road trip in the combi, after all, and I had to ensure I arrived with plenty of spare time. But I wondered, why was I spending five days in Hamilton when I was actually only needed to be there across three days, 48 hours in total? It turns out that immersing myself in the entire Spark Week and everything around it will go down as one of the most amazing experiences in my life. Thanks to Sam, who pitched the original idea, to Megan, who organised the whole thing, to Wendy for her continued support and good humour, and of course to Sarah, who utterly looked after me. I saw many great presentations and met some great speakers, from Jeff Birch through to Bob Yanke. I visited gallery openings and I met some amazing artists, Tally, Angela, Jermaine and Patti from Fafswag. We connected, we shared stories, and I just fell in love with the New Zealand art scene even more. And of course... I spent the week with painter Sarah Munro, who along with her daughter, totally looked after me, made me a part of their home for the week. We ate healthy, I drank kombucha, I tried my first yoga session, we chatted art and meditation and travel, families, food, business and so many things. If I didn't already have such a wonderful family, I'd be asking them to adopt me. Why am I telling you all this? Well, because it's just a little bit bonkers, that's why. Because I got to share my story with so many students and industry professionals, and that's thrilling. People go to conferences and festivals for the education, the inspiration, the entertainment, but I'm not sure everyone understands how valuable these are for the invited speakers. You see, the process of preparing a presentation or a workshop, it's so amazingly cathartic. It's such an introspective process, and it opens your mind to what you're doing and why you're doing it. I feel like this whole process has given me as an invited speaker, such a boost, such a dose of inspiration. And I imagine what those attendees must be feeling like now. Get along to Spark. Get along to other conferences. Open your mind. Be prepared to listen. If you get an opportunity to talk or present or host something, as scary as that sounds, take it. So what's been happening in your world? What are you up to? What are you creating? Anything cool to share? And I really mean it. I want to know what's going on. I received a really nice message earlier this week from a listener who just said thanks. And she told me how she'd been listening to the podcast on a big road trip with her husband and it completely altered her husband's view of what she's doing as a creative. And that was a really good thing for them. She said plenty of other beautiful things on this note, but she also told me that she's about to embark on a creative adventure herself. That she's looking at trying to leave the corporate world and do something else, something bigger, something more meaningful to her. And my podcast, amongst all the other things out there, is another resource for her. 
Imagine that. Imagine this funny little thing that I'm putting together having such a profound impact on someone's relationship and a journey that someone's going on. I just love it. Thanks so much for that note. I'd love to hear from more of you. But of course, Breaking Art wouldn't be a podcast without a guest. And so this week, I have a guest for you. A New Zealand artist, a New Zealand glass artist. When I was up in Spark, I had the opportunity to meet up with a few other artists and make a few other connections. And I really, really wanted to get in touch with Daitoka. So, let's get into the interview. Glass artist, Daitoka. Welcome to Breaking Art, the podcast. I'm sitting here today in Cambridge. I've just spent a week in Hamilton at Spark Festival, and I've driven down to Cambridge to meet with the lovely Daitoka. Nice to have you here. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be here. So, Daitoka is an artist. Jenny was very, very quick to point out that you are not a glass blower. <laughs> you are a glass artist or sculptor. Caster? How would you how would you describe it? I actually like to say that I'm a sculptural glass maker. Even better. That sounds way better. Yeah. Sculptural glass maker. Beautiful. I didn't know what that meant prior to meeting you. I'd seen glass sculptures of sorts, but I didn't know specifically what your art was like. And I've now had a, had a tour of your studio which is amazing. You've just filled me in on the whole process. I don't feel like I, do, I could do any of that. It's it's a science and an art at the same time, do you think? Absolutely. Yep. And I guess that's one of the things about casting glass. So there's so many aspects to it. Um, and that's what makes it interesting, is that some days I'll spend all day working with wax. So wax is the original material, the first product of the process, and that's what I'll model my little figures sitting on the um, forms. So those forms might be hemispheres or um, little uh, circles, um, half boat forms, simplified things like that. I always work in figures. Figures. Figures are a huge part of your work. Almost every piece of work I've seen has humans or human representation or some sort of figures right yeah and, and they're usually generic uh, yeah i don't tend to yeah but that's important have you have, would you have you produced a piece of art that doesn't have a figure mm. it's very intentional obviously very intentional on your part yeah even when i don't do figures the work's kind of still figurative ah. if you know what i mean yeah sure there'll be a pair of works that relate to each other because one of the things that I'm actually really interested in is negative space. So I'm one of those people that looks at the crowd and I see the gaps between the people yeah. rather than just the people because yeah. that tells to me how they're interacting with each of other. Of course. So my work is um, has the figures in it and it's generally talking about relationships. They can be relationships to other people or they can be relationships to object or it can be a relationship with the world around us. So just, yeah, just relating. You're exploring um, relationships. Yeah. And so you're always working with wax. You start with wax. That's the foundation of these pieces of yeah. art. Is that right? Yeah. Sculpting and effectively creating what the finished product is going to look like. In boring old brown wax, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. So that's where it's hard to translate from that 3D model of brown wax into this shiny glass object. Yeah, and they do look wildly different. Other than the fact they have the same form. But I yeah. get what you're saying. Blur. Amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so over the 11 years that I've been full-time practicing doing this, I kind of, I know it sounds a bit nerdy, but I say that I can think like glass. That I'm I'm imagining when I'm trying to get the glass, work out which colors I want where, 
I'm actually imagining that glass flowing into those moulds and where it's travelling and yeah. what it's doing. I've seen the result of this and it blew my mind. And let's just fill the gap there. So you've made your wax mould. Yep. Is that well, a it's a model. Sorry, it's a model. It's a model. Yeah, I, I call it there. a model. Even, I don't even call it an object because at this point it's not finished. Yep. It's just pretending to be something else, you see. It's on the way. Yep. So then I've got to make a mould around That's it. That's the mould, yeah. Yeah. So that mould is made of wet plaster. So when you're a kid, you might have got plaster of Paris and poured it into those silicon rubbery yeah, moulds. Sure. I had Snow White and the Dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably where my fascination with the material started. And you hand build a mould around. Now, it sounds really easy. It's, in fact, quite technical. And I have lots of different mould recipes that I've built up over the years and taught myself because some works I want to make stronger because I need sides to stay straight. Some moulds are made with multiple layers to be flexible because the work's very intricate. So, um, yeah, I have books full of recipes. This is, amazes me, and I'm going to admit this is one part of the process that I'm not sure I still understand. Because, but I'm going to I'm going to go with you here. So here's the here's the science part, and maybe some of the art that I don't get. But you ultimately end up with this this mold made from plaster that you're then going to pour the glass into. Is that right? That's right. But remember, we've still got the wax model in there. Oh yeah, yeah. You melt that out, do you? Steam it out. Steam it out. Steam and it, it out. And then it disappears and it's gone, right? Yeah. So that's oh. why it's called lost wax casting. Uh huh. So you get one shot. Oh, yeah. So right. one wax, and then after the mould has gone into the kiln. So, you know those terracotta garden pots? Yeah. Yep, with yep. the hole in the bottom. So we stack up raw chunks of crystal glass in those, and then set the kiln. So, I mean, set the computer. And the glass is going to dribble out through that hole into the bottom, into the mould. And this is the part where you talk about you think like glass and you think about how it's going to dribble out of the bottom of this terracotta pot into your mould. Yeah. Which colours are going to sort of fall in which place? It's not... So I know exactly where in that pot, if I put which colour, which order it will go out through that hole. Amazing. And it's not, I can tell you, it's not bottom to top. Oh, right. It's not that simple. It blew my mind when I saw the output of this. And and some of your some of your pieces are just one colour, so you don't have to think about this. Yeah. But are you exploring more colours Not more many now? of them are oh, one right. colour right. now. Nowadays, okay. Yeah. It's so, stuff now. yeah, some of the big works that I call them big, but in actual fact, physically, are still only about 300 millimetres high, a foot high. Big is kind of 13 kgs of glass. Yep. That's enough to physically move That's around. That's a huge amount of glass. So they're what I, yeah, they're, they're glass blocks yeah. and they're rooms, what I call rooms. Yep. And they have details of a figure inside and it might be sitting on a couch or it might be on a bed or it might be standing looking out a window that's in relief on the side of the block. And they might have wallpaper and all those sorts of things. So when I first started making those works, I just made them in clear. Sure. So that was all about... Just keeping the story really simple, and it was all about the form. But then I realised that as I started to use colour, I can bring emotion into the work, and I can do the same work and try a different colour configuration, and it just tells another story. So you said you had to go through that process of mastering, being able to create these before you then brought that extra level in, right? Yeah, it's kind of like most new forms I make. If I have a choice and I don't know how the work's going to make, I'll make it in clear first. Right. Because I'm just about the success of the piece. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'll go to the more trickier 
color combination. It's hard to convey this purely via audio, and what I'm going to hope <laughs> to do is link to some of your images on the blog so that listeners can jump on and have a look. And there's a couple that I saw in particular with this beautiful color down through the middle and just ending on or above the little figure's head. Yeah. Which is pretty much exactly how you wanted it to turn out, right? Yeah, which it's, is a hard ask sometimes. We yep. have these little... Uh, well, I call them the kiln gods. Kiln gods. The kiln gods, yeah. And it's sometimes you just shut that door and say, well, now it's up to the kiln gods. Whatever will be, will be. Because these pieces we're talking about, these bigger pieces, they're in the kiln for a month. Amazing. They're in the kiln for a month. Not to mention the fact that you've already spent days, maybe weeks, actually getting them to the point where they can go in the kiln. Yep. Days yeah. getting them in. And then when they come out, they're pretty ugly. <laughs> They need a lot of finishing, so usually about a week's polishing. Um, a week's polishing out of the kiln. So we talk, we could be talking six, seven weeks, and it's still not looking how no, we want it to look. No, yep. and I still actually don't know what the full inside of the piece looks like until the final, final polish, because you've got to go through a series of grits, just like imagine sanding a piece of timber. You yeah, start sure. with the rough sandpaper and you go through to the finer ones. So I can see through my glass when it comes out of the kiln and then I've got to take it to the rough sandpaper before I can bring it up to the high finish. So I can't see what's going on in there right until the very end is it really revealed. That is amazing. So that's why I dislike a lot sending work out to the gallery straight away. I need that period of living with it. I need a, my pieces to sit around for a bit. Finished pieces. Yeah, finished pieces. They need to be pieces. finished, then they need to sit around. I just need to well, live with them. To, what I needs just, to happen there? I need to live with them. I need to critique them myself because I'll walk out of the studio one day and I'll walk in a different light because it's glass. Yes, you know, of course. It's a, it, it'll tell another story at 5 p.m. as opposed to 7 a.m. in the morning. Amazing. Um, so I just need to process those works. Sometimes you don't have a choice. You've got deadlines and, yeah. you know. I told the person I'd get it to them by that date, and so I've got to do that. Can we explore this this concept of galleries? I mean, it may be obvious to you and, and other artists, but there's a lot of people out there, I imagine, who don't even know what you mean when you talk about getting work to a gallery. So these are galleries who've, who've said to you, I want some Diatoka artwork in here, make some for me, or have they, have they bought it and they're going to on-sell it, or are you effectively putting an exhibition together? What, what are we doing here? So I work with about five galleries around New Zealand, quite strategically spread out so that they're not too close to each other. It's very much a partnership, very much they're working for me, I'm working for them. And most of them have shops, you know, the work's staying in there all of the time. And two of the galleries I work for, or do work for, have exhibition spaces. Sure. So I'll try and do a show um, or an exhibition for them once every couple of years because it gives you a real good opportunity to promote, to push hard, to work for something and do a new body of work. And then usually what happens after that show, there'll be a few pieces left, they'll sit around and you'll add to that and you'll um, just keep them in stock so that your name's there and they keep talking about you and selling. But they don't buy the work outright. They don't? No. So it's sitting there? All on consignment. Right. So I've got to make my work and then I've got to send it to them and hope it sells. Of course. An outlay for an exhibition, probably retail price, usually about 25K, I suppose, for my work to go on to, you know, a small show, maybe. 
That's, um, that's what it costs you, or that's what it's likely to be sitting on the that, shelf for? That's what it'll sit on the shelf yep. for. But so 25k, but it's, you might have spent, or whatever your costs are, thousands yep. to get that there, yep. with no promise of any sale. Yeah. My figure that I have in my head when I'm doing the exhibition is that I hope for 50% sales. Yep. Oh, so you hope to sell 50% I, of the items you supply. Yep. Yep. You've got to remember, like, if I'm doing a show on the South Island, I've got to freight it all down there. That's all my cost. All that sort of thing. Um, the gallery's pretty good. They're going to come to the party with a lot of marketing and, and that sort of stuff. And in the last few years, I've been doing that 50% plus. I'm pretty good. Pretty on you. You're happy with that. that? Yeah. How much do the galleries market for you, and how much are you still having to do for yourself? It's such a partnership with social media, it's got to be. And in fact, when I worked with Form Gallery just recently, we actually had um, we had discussions about how we would handle it. Like, how much do we want to put out there before the show? Because we don't want everybody to see it online and then not come. So you strategised it with them before. We strategised it, yeah. Smart. And then we looked at what works, how many posts we wanted to do. Um, I would post... Um, a certain angle of a piece and they post another angle so that we didn't then put yeah we would yeah. compliment we would just keep getting the message out there but actually work together and I think it really paid off good this time great, yeah, great piece of yeah it was the first time that we kind of that it was strategically done like that yep. and that's the future perhaps you've got your work in I think you said five or six different galleries around the country yeah five hoping to be six soon great have they all got different bits of die talk or work or are they all kind of the same work at this stage no, they they have different different pieces sell better in other areas. And other galleries, you know, some galleries have a certain price bracket that works well for them. And then there's other ones that are going to be lower end, some are going to be higher end. So, and there's some, you know, my high end pieces of retail for about five 5,000. Um, I know the galleries that can move those. And that's not every gallery. I that's appreciate not every that. gallery. Yeah. And every gallery is at a different stage in their relationship with you. So some of them might mm. have just started exhibiting your work. Yeah. Some of them you've had it in there for, I don't know, six months or a year. And you're looking yeah. at whether it works, still working, or whether you need to move on. Yeah. the fan I mean, the fantastic thing, I'd love to have all of the galleries have one of those pieces. Yeah. But those pieces are the pieces that take a month in the kiln. I can actually physically only make so many a year. Because I've got other deadlines of other projects. Ah, so this is interesting. Yeah, this gallery so, is only a small, oh, it's, it's a portion of your work and your income, but it's not all of it, right? No, it's definitely not all of it. And my income stream has changed so much over the 11 years that I've been um, doing this. It's needed to because I didn't have, well, I had a name, but it wasn't a well-known name um, when I started. And so it's taken time to build that up to the point where people want a piece of my work. Yeah, so how, how, would, how would you have then sold your work, let's say, nine years ago? Um, slowly. A <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, lot slower. I, I still sold it. I still put it out there to galleries, but I guess I was just feeling my way with finding the right galleries, and my work wasn't at the level that it could actually go into the galleries it's in now. Yeah. So that's where I needed to supplement my income with other income streams. And can you give us some examples of some other income streams that have, have worked for you or haven't worked for you? Yeah, so um, when I first moved into um, my first own studio, I started uh, teaching. I, I needed to teach. Actually, I got a little bit panicked because it was like, build the temple, hope they will come. Because <laughs> um, I all of a sudden realised I had all these bills. Yeah. Yeah, and I needed to pay them. But I was fortunate in the fact that I had already been doing a bit of teaching of cast glass. Prior to making sculptural glass, 
I used to be a lead lighter or a stained glass artist. And through that, I taught night classes. So I basically taught myself how to teach adults. I see. Even though you didn't have a huge amount of experience doing this casting, you knew how to teach. I knew how to teach. You knew how to do. I knew how to write a program. I knew how to make it interesting for people. I knew how to be organized. I knew how to you know, run run a workshop so that it was fun. Yeah, that's interesting. And hey, the bits that mattered. This is really interesting. What I'm going to do is I'm going to deviate from the story yeah. and then we're going to come back into okay, it. Okay, cool. How does one end up casting glass or lead lighting? Like, I, how does this happen? Well, I, I, I'm quite a curious kind of person and when I was 18 I went to a night class learn how to make stained glass windows. They were cool in the 80s, remember? In the 80s, <laughs> yeah, stained glass they, windows were awesome. And they you, were and awesome. You, just, you were just like learning stuff. You were curious. Uh, you wanted to know, here's a class, stuff it. I'm going to do did, this. I did classes on things like cane weaving, you know, those trays, yeah, <laughs> and wow. stuff like that, um, macrame, like all the things that were in all the, the 80s. All cool 80s things, yeah. Yep, but glass was the one that stuck. So I picked up a glass cutter, and you spend the first half hour cutting glass, just scraps, to see if you can do it. And the switch just flipped. Wow. I mean, this is it. This is way cool. I have found my medium. And um, from then on, I went straight out, bought tools, um, bought pattern books, and made a whole lot of cheesy copper foil lamps. And anybody that would have a window got a window. <laughs> <laughs> How much demand was there for, for your windows? Oh, uh, there was more demand for bad lampshades. <laughs> but I just kept, I kept doing glass. I kept... Um, I kept just kept making it, and even when I went and did my OE over to England, I took my glass tools. It was just your thing, like you just, just knew this was what I wanted to do right now. Obviously, I didn't know it was going to go into cast glass. I had a bent for drawing graphic stuff, so it fitted with pattern drawing and making up designs for for lead light windows. And I also have, I'm also interested in history, so there's that side of it too, I can see and color, and yeah, there's yeah. A, there's all that sort of fascination. Yeah. Yep. Um, so I just basically told people I could do it and I did it. Yeah. And then somehow you got from cutting glass and lead lighting and you skipped glass blowing and you ended up in glass casting. Yeah. Well, so I was living in Australia and I, um, was working at a large lead light firm as their designer at that stage. I'd gotten the best job in the whole workshop. I was off the off the bench and just drawing and talking to the clients. It was fantastic. Wow. Um, and then I saw an advertisement for a Bachelor of Arts major glass. I was like, Bachelor of Fine Arts major glass. I was like, holy moly. I can get didn't a bachelor's know, degree. Didn't know such a glass. thing existed. So at yeah. this stage, I'm 29. Yep. And I go home and I say to my husband, um, I want to go to university. But you already had this amazing like career under you and you had work and you're in a great position yeah, and you still wanted to study still wanted to get the bachelor's degree it was a great job it was fantastic but if i'm to be honest i don't know where the future would have been and actually there was no future in that you and know you we can see, see. it's 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 well, we died can out it now, we can see it now but did I, you, could you tell that at the time no but i was probably just living in the moment but i was all i've always been curious about studying like yeah. even when i was doing my oe in england i took myself off to art and design school and did a diploma like brilliant and so yeah. you, you've talked about the night classes that got you into class the yeah. diploma over there and then here's this uh degree you're going to do right yeah. so so learning constantly learning yeah. is just a big thing for you so of course i and it was a full-time degree and i was like how am i going to do that and earn money 
So I spoke to my boss and that's when the idea came for teaching because they needed someone to teach the night classes at the lead light shop. And I was like, well, hang on. If I design windows for eight hours a day, then I have a little break for dinner. Then I stay there and teach the three-hour night class. I can just cram a 12-hour working day, do two of them, bang, go to uni for three days. <laughs> and it worked? It worked. Yeah, I was exhausted. Mental crazy week, but it worked. <laughs> for three years. <laughs> Um, lucky with no kids at that stage, so it was all good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Without kids, you got time yeah. for a few more things. Yeah. yeah. So the idea was that I'd go to uni and I would make, um, I'd learn how to do two-dimensional, large, commercial, coloured glass, industrial windows, big buildings, you know, all that. And I came out the other end making teeny, tiny, small, three-dimensional objects. <laughs> But I suppose that's what university's for. That's right. Three years, yep. your direction changes slightly, but it's still in glass. I'm fascinated by that. I love that. Still always hooked on glass. Yeah. And Not then, glass blowing, though. Yeah, we skipped that. We won't talk about glass blowing. <laughs> no. Nah. That, didn't, that didn't captivate you. So you come out of university producing these, these figurines. From the start, you were producing these cast figurines. In fact, you've shown me a few of the very original ones, I guess. Yeah. You know I don't like that word, figurines. Sorry. <laughs> it kind of implies the jewellery shop. <laughs> kind of. Which, quite a glass, but that's okay. I have to get that and I have to educate people quite what, a lot. What word should I be using? Just figures. Figures. figures oh, there's a few extra letters in there and I'm ruining yeah, it for you. Figures Sorry. is all good. Figures. Glass figures. Okay, cool. So let's now let's now head back into the journey you were telling me about teaching. You essentially had experience teaching from your university days. You thought, oh, I've got to make a little bit of cash here. So you thought you'd teach. I needed to make cash because somehow you've got to pay for the studio. Yep. You've just got to pay. Well, I had insurances I had. I had bills. Yeah, of course. You know, you want to run a website, you want to do all that stuff. So the teaching just came naturally. And people said, hey, you can teach. This is good. This is fun. And they kept coming back. Yeah. Um, and it worked out really, really well for, for about five years. You're still, and you're not still teaching now, though, right? I am teaching. I've got just a core group of students that have been with me about four years. And I love how far they've come. And it's How so many cool. Years? Did you say four, four years? years they've wow. been. Yeah, and they're all very cool people. And they're spread out throughout New Zealand and they usually um, fly in and do a block. Um, and I just organise that throughout my year so that we have three or four blocks. Gotcha. Um, and that way it's not impacting so much because the downside of teaching is that it's disruptive to studio practice, especially when it's in your studio. Of You've course. got to clear all your work away, get in that headspace deliver, be quite exhausted, um, and then put all your work back out again and try and get into another, you know. Yeah, not to mention they're stealing your space. Are they stealing your kilns because they've got Yeah, well, I factor there. that in. Yeah, okay. Factor that in. Yep. So, is, um, is there a future where there's more teaching? There is a future where there's more teaching, but I'm exploring at the moment doing that via online. Oh, right. And is this yeah. just quite a new exploration? Are you yeah, I'm only just delving it? into it and playing and working out how I'm going to go about it. Yep. Um, need to keep it simple. Need to keep it accessible. Yep. Um, uh, but I think it's going to go down. I've spoken to a few people and they're, they're keen for Good it. Good stuff. I'm fascinated. We might continue this conversation. And, and so there's been a few other little revenue opportunities then over the years that have, that have really worked for you? Well, one thing that... I realised very early on is that if I want to stay in this game as an artist, I can't just sell art to survive. If I was, if I had just sold my glass and done nothing else, I don't think we'd be sitting here having wow. this conversation. And wow. I and I really believe that. Um, so, with any business, I think you've got to think about diversification. 
So when I started teaching, I started thinking, well, I'm going to need a bit more of the glass I use. And I bring that in from Australia. I import blackwood crystal. Oh, tell me, this this is fancy. Some You import glass. The glass yes. you use, you import from Australia. So I import 300 kilos at a time. Wow. So that comes in these great big 25 kg pails. And this is a really particular type of glass that it you love? sold just for casting. Right. It's crystal. That's why you get the beautiful clarity of oh, the glass. It's lead crystal, so the high lead content makes it a soft glass, easy to polish, and it runs into the mould and picks up all the detail. Oh, right. does all of that. It's magic. Magic to people like me yeah. who are oh, obsessed with it. You've kind of convinced me as well. I'm sitting here mesmerised by it. You can't buy that in New Zealand? You can. There's other, there's other glasses in New Zealand, but I... Know James, who makes this glass. He's a one-man band artisan. I know him. I know where it comes from. It's very specialised, and I really enjoy working with this crystal. I find the colours really um, organic. And I other, another thing I think about as an artist is point of difference. I see. Point of difference is really important. You've got to find your voice, your way. So I just... I knew this crystal because I'd done my um, study in Australia. So I just carried on using it. I right. didn't realise it was going to be my point of difference. But it is one of my point of differences. Yeah, right. Yeah. The particular glass So then people would using. say to me, well, why would you sell it to other people to use? But by now I've got my language with it. Yeah. I, and, and I want to share the product that I think is amazing. Yeah, sure. So, so, yeah. So when I started teaching, I kind of realised, well, hang on the students are going to need materials. So I said to the accountant, well, I'm thinking about importing more of this crystal and selling it. And he said, what do you think? And he said, what else can you sell? So that made me kind of start thinking about things. And I was like, oh, I spend two weeks, every two weeks, I spend a day in the car driving all over Hamilton, picking up bags of plaster, silica, pots from the hardware store, this from that shop, tape from that shop, and on and on the list goes. So I was like, Oh, people must get pretty frustrated about that. So I started an online store selling casting. Yeah, when you say people, products. you mean everyone else who everyone wants this else stuff, right? They're who probably does doing the same stuff. thing. Yeah. So, um, so you're you're essentially the importer, the distributor for this glass. Yep, yep. And other associated products. And all these other products. So anything I use, I put on my little online store and say, look, tried and tested it. These are the tools yeah. and the things I use in my studio. The the ironic thing is that a whole lot of the stuff I sell, of course, people use for other industries. Oh, I see. And that just happens with anything. I was going to say, how big's the market for you it's selling small. this stuff? It is small. It's small. Yeah, but yeah, it's enough yeah, oh, for you to make a bit of effort in it. It's enough for me to make a eff- um, bit of an effort. And then the plus side is that, you know, I buy in bulk. Yeah. So I never run out of materials. It's one of the great things is that I can't afford to because I'm going to sell it online. So I'm never short of something. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to have that capital outlay initially. I do right? have the capital outlay, and I've got to keep the website up to date and all that sort of stuff. I've probably been a little lax on that for the last few years because things ebb and flow and yeah, sure. and change. And as the teachings waned off a bit, but then I'm hoping that um, you know we'll do a little bit more of the teaching online. And yeah, and one of the other things I noticed, I mean, we, we've talked about the work that you produce specifically for these galleries, which is essentially you just creating something that you want to create, isn't it? You might have a bit Pretty of a, much. there might be like a bit of a commercial thought in your head, hey, what might sell here? Maybe, but you also get commissions. Yeah, I do get, get commissions, but usually the commissions come off the work 
that's already out there. Right. So if somebody's going to ring me up and ask for a horse, I'm going to go now. No, sorry. I'm not your person. I don't do horses. But they'll say, I saw this and it's not available anymore or I want it in this colour or a slight deviation you might do for them. So I quite often, I usually get commissions based around family. You know, they pick up on that relationship thing. Yep. And they might say, hey, I saw that work that's like this. You know, those colours would represent... Yep. This really well for us. And and you'll do these or you'll only do them when you I'll got do the time them and... no no, I'll do them. Yep. Um generally I want to build up again that relationship with the person. So oh, right. it's a it's dialogue. Just, it's one piece though. You might just be doing one piece, but you're still Yeah. 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 Take and then the I'll deliver them, them the and... book afterwards that shows the process. Are you kidding? No. Wow. <laughs> so if I bought a a, a commission diatoka piece you would actually spend the time to really yeah, get to... a special piece, I'll photograph it all the way along the way and then make your little book. And... Wow. Because you, you know, you're going to share that with people and that's part of the journey. That's part of how this piece came about. Sure. That's yeah. beautiful. It's amazing. I've, more and more these days people want that story. Yeah. You know, that's why they come to open studios. That's why they are quite happy to come and meet you. That's why they look you up online and want to know a little bit more about you. So it's an integral part of being an artist now. I just recently did an open studio as part of Cambridge Open Studios. And um, and I had my husband, Mike, in there. There's two rooms in my studio. So we realised, we didn't know how it was going to roll. We didn't know how many people were going to turn up. We realised really quickly that one of us had to be in one room, the workshop, and telling them how it was made. And the other person had to be out in the gallery space, A, for security, and B, just to meet and greet and be nice, we were exhausted. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, and people Mike got the reputation as, oh, my God, you've got to go see that guy and how he explains how she makes that work. <laughs> <laughs> and he just told the same story over and over <laughs> and over. We had 180 people through that Are weekend. you kidding? No, we through were. Your, your garage studio here yep. at home. Amazing. We were wrecked. That is amazing. Yeah. Hey, Mike. Mike sounds like a pretty special person. Is he quite an integral? Is he a part of your business? He's a massive part of the business. So I trade under Dietok, a glass artist, but, you know, if he didn't give me the space to do what I do, it just wouldn't happen. And, you know, there's that other thing of that steady income. We've got got in our house what we have is the nice steady income and the one person that goes out and spends the day out at work. And then we've got the other one that's the flexible income which is me, and they're there for the kids, and it's that lifestyle choice that we've chosen together. He also happens to um, work in business and has a diploma in business management. So there's if benefits I want, there yeah, well. there's benefits there. Yeah. So, you know, we can talk marketing. Has he always been a part of, of like, say, the marketing and some of the business side, or, or was there a time when you were just gung-ho doing this on your own? Yeah, when I first started, I was pretty much um, gung-ho doing it on my own. But I did realise part way through the journey that I needed to involve some more people. So there was a time where um, everything was going massively swimmingly. I had my own studio. I was finally starting to make the bigger works that I wanted to make. Um, The bank account was looking good. Everything was rosy as. um, And I hit the black hole. I just all of a sudden um, could not enter my studio. This sounds crazy diet because you've just told us that things are going amazing and you're yep. in a really good place and then you yeah one morning just couldn't get in there and work couldn't couldn't so what was happening here so i had depression and and i just got it it was like i just woke up one day and had it and nobody would have guessed that it would happen to 
someone like me. I was really fortunate in that it was a brief three-week episode, but it was a dark three weeks. Can I ask if there were there was a trigger or something that sort of brought this on? Well, I guess you always look back. Yeah. So I spent that three weeks delving into that, and there were several triggers. And so what had happened, but they didn't happen immediately. So previously, um, I had been working collaboratively with another glass artist in her workshop for four years, which was great, but it had run its course and it was time for me to build my own studio, which we did. Um, Then I had a great fun friend and she left for the other side of the world. And so I just started isolating myself, not really realising I was was doing it because I was actually having a great time in the studio by myself. You're on your own, you're doing your own thing. Yeah, and I love my own company. I don't have a problem with it. But I had too much of it. Right. Way too much of it. And so, um, yeah, just I, I just changed some things. And, uh, well, I've, I say I just changed. I worked through. But should I go out and get a job a couple of days a week to be around people? Um, all those things. This is during that three-week period? During that three-week period. Out. I was really lucky I didn't have major deadlines because I physically could not. I couldn't even touch the door handle. It was really scary. Wow. And and then it was like I had to go through a process of self-therapy where I'd force myself to open the door and put one foot in. And this is my happy place. Yeah. This is the best place in the world. I am the luckiest girl alive. You're doing exactly what you want to do. Yep. And yet you can't do it. Yeah. So gradually the fog lifted and I and I spoke to Mike about what I needed to do to make some changes. And we identified that I had too much time by myself. And I also was shouldering too much of the business. I, I was see. making so many decisions on my own. Um, do I buy a new kiln? You know, it's a big investment, a few thousand dollars. You know, how do I spend all my money? So that's when I said to Mike, hey, I think you need to be a bigger part of this. I see. And that's when Mike came on board a little bit more. A little bit. He was always there. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Yeah. He's the one that built the benches, uh-huh. did all the did all the plumbing, did all, everything he could to, to physically make the space. He did all of that. Yeah, sure. But the actual running of the day-to-day, we didn't do a whole lot of that together. Yep. I just went to work and he went to work. Yeah. But now I went to work and then we also, so we would have regular meetings now. Two yeah. of you. Yeah, absolutely. I say, hey, I need to talk over some stuff. Yeah, right. So you've identified yeah. that. And then there was a there was a period, and it might have been about then, when you also in, brought on someone else to come in your studio and yeah. help you? Yeah, because when I realised that I was too much time on my own and I worked through all those scenarios of, okay, how can I spend more time with other people, but I still want to make glass. And then there's a whole lot of what I call shit jobs in the studio. Okay. There's just all the small stuff that has to be done, you know, prep work, all that sort of thing. And I was like, actually, I could get someone else to do that. Yeah, that's a fair yeah. thought. Yeah. So um, I knew Janine, and she was looking for a job just a day a week. So I thought, perfect. Yeah. So she came in and it worked. Great. Yeah, we could gossip the day away and... You know, listen to the radio and have some other conversations. And I was glad to go back to my own company um, after I had that day. And yeah, and sure. two people can achieve like three times the work of, you know. The power of synergy, right? Yeah. Where you turn yeah. it out. You just yeah. feel like so much more is being yeah. done. The, 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 the expectation, though, that you effectively had to support her or pay her, did that weigh on your mind? or were Well, you I did it contract enough? wages, so, oh, yeah. so that was okay. Yep. And... Um, it became, and then the hard thing about it is the fact that when one person comes one day a week, they don't learn very fast. 
Sure. That's the downside. Sure. So um, it was great. She built up to two days a week. So for three years, I've had someone working for me two days a week. Um, and I've just recently made a change. My last assistant left and a few months ago. And I'm actually going back to working by myself. And I'm loving it. All right. Yeah. Okay. But, hey, just we just want to make sure that you don't fall into that space No, again, but I'm right? in a different place now. Okay. And so that's why, and I checked all the boxes yep. before I made the Good decision stuff. to hang by myself. So I've got other key support systems now. So one in particular that has made a massive difference to the last four years of how I've been working is this relationship with another artist. And she's not a glass artist. She's a painter. She's a painter? And this, yeah. is, this isn't Jenny, is it? Yeah. Right. Jenny DeGroote. Fantastic. So Jenny lives on the other side of Hamilton. So I live on Cambridge. It's 10 minutes this side. She lives on Nahinapori. It's 10 minutes that side. But um, we just talk stuff. Wow. So we critique each other's work. We'll do that via text or email <laughs> or, you know, when it's, when it's straight out of the kiln, she's the one that gets to see it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, almost like an informal business partner, but almost like a support Absolute, group, just yeah. a fellow artist. So we have uh, Monday morning phone calls right? pretty much every week. Great. So these are about accountability. What are you up to for the week? You know, do the whole how's your weekend kind of thing. But it's more, okay, what do you got on your plate? What are you, what are you working on? Anything I can help you with. Um, we'll share podcast information. Um, you know, yeah, you got to listen to this one. We'll share um, business tips. Um, we share everything because we're not in competition with each other either. I was about either. to say that I can see That's the value the in difference. this. Yeah. You're both in a similar industry, right? You're both practicing your craft and yep. trying to make something of yep. it. But it's separate enough that you're not in comp direct competition. That's yeah. how you feel. And we way. even exhibit as the painter and the glassmaker wow. together, so which do, is really fun. Yeah, tell me more. You're just, you're just like pull together an exhibition? Together somewhere, somehow? Or? That pulled together. That doesn't <laughs> kind of work for us because we are highly planned professionals. Right. We're, we're a little bit mad crazy on it. So we, okay. we'll spend nine months planning a show. Wow. And we're looking for a look. Yep. And we're thinking about our work and we are, um, it might be the palette, uh, might be the subject matter. So we're thinking about those things. We're not we're not trying to matchy match everything, but we understand that it's got to, it's got to hang together. Yeah, I understand that. And we'll even display it. Really sharply. I can imagine that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can imagine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this does this form um, a few purposes because the idea here is that one, you guys are just collaborating and working together and coming together to build something together, which can feel and be amazing. Then you're also hoping to sell your artwork as well. Is that... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's that thing of you know solo exhibitions, man, they're hard. Right. You are, you know, you are bearing your soul on your own. You know, it's like walking down the street naked, putting mm -hmm. on an exhibition. <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Yeah. You've given it all. You've put your heart and soul into that work for six months, and then you put it on show for everybody to look yeah. at. Is that how you also feel when you send your work to a gallery, just on a smaller scale? Or do you, mm, does it feel different for you? It's different than okay. an opening night when you're okay. there, and it's all there, and everybody's looking at it and all that sort of stuff. Yep. So to share that load with another artist, to share the ideas of how we're going to market it, to share the ideas for... Um, how we're going to pull it together, how it's going to look, oh, it's so much more fun. Pretty, pretty much halves it and makes oh, it more fun. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah absolutely. Great. So, and no. there is this beautiful synergy between the two different art forms that are, that can, are close enough but different enough. Yeah. That's yeah. beautiful. And so, um, yeah, we, we, um, we have a really cool thing going on. And we can, we can pull each other down, up, whichever way we need. 
And then the other exciting thing that we'll do together is we'll go and see exhibitions and I'll be looking from the 3D perspective and she's looking from the 2D. We're teaching each other. Wow. You know? Yeah. So that's pretty cool. That is cool. Yeah. I, I want to bring Jenny into this conversation just for a little bit because she's actually the one who got in touch with me and recommended I talk to you, Di. Oh, she, she's a good friend. Yeah, <laughs> she's fantastic. a good friend. So I get the email, hey, if you get contact from Jason Naylor, it's because I've dubbed you in. <laughs> well, I really appreciate it because um, referrals and suggestions like this are amazing because I, they, they, they're genuine, you know, they clearly mean yeah. something. Um, but she did say to me that one of the things we should talk about is you went through, a, uh, you've told me about what you went through a few years ago with, with the, the dark place, the depression, which I, I respect and admire you telling me that. Then she, she actually didn't tell me about that. That was a surprise to me. What she did tell me about was a period you went through maybe last year. You had a, some surgery, effectively, as a result of something, and that really impacted your work and your future. Yeah, it massively impacted. But some, it, it was really negative to start with, and some great things have come out of it. So you need to understand a bit of context around it. Mike and I spent um, a year designing and building a new house and studio in Cambridge for our family so that we could see out the high school years closer to town. Um, we poured all our energies into that. And here I am commuting to my old studio. I'm, I'm used to working from home, so commuting 15 minutes down a country road isn't fun for me. So I slogged it out for the year doing all of that. Got myself to a place where I was ready to move the old studio to the new space which was finished and started getting sore i got sore legs actually sore legs sore right. legs yep. felt like um felt like i had really tight itb bands and and glutes and she just assumed it was from being on your feet too much yeah i thought i was working too hard i better do some stretches yeah uh, so so anyway long story short what had happened was over years of doing lifting in the studio and twisting and lifting and bad studio practice, I had bulged a disc in my back and I was putting pressure on the nerves in my legs. Ouch. Yeah, it was pretty ouch. And um, it meant that for six months, I was not able to work much at all. You, all that, all your work, your, all, your, all this lifting and, and moving and things you needed to do that you relied on on a daily basis to produce these, you just couldn't do it for I six months. I couldn't go my limit and it hurt I would suffer coming home from the supermarket bringing home the two litre bottles of milk I know it sounds so pathetic two but litres. that would put a toll on me and yet here you were sometimes needing to lift yeah. 13 kilos of glass and yeah. all those products around your yeah. studio how yeah. did the future of Diatoka look at that stage oh, I looked oh man I, I just it was grim I was seriously questioning whether I was going to be able to carry on in this practice. I was, and I, and of course, surgery was the answer. But you hear so many bad stories about back surgery, and of course, you do everything. You try everything else. You try the physio. You try this. It can't be that bad. How bad can it be? Um, it's pretty bad. It was pretty bad when you're lying on the floor in the living room at five o'clock saying to your kids, I can't cook dinner, get the salad out the bag. Oh, no. <laughs> Lucky for those bag salads oh, that come no. with dressing and everything um, and something to find in the freezer. As you say, the future must have looked grim. Obviously, the surgery was successful, though, because we're it, here today talking. It was an instant relief. I'm talking, get out of the bed. And I said to the nurse, I've got new legs. Wow. You know, I was sore from yeah, surgery. Sure. So they cut away the disc. But I, I'm one of the lucky ones in that the surgeon said to me, the sooner you have it, the better. You'll be fine. 
But it's not as simple as that, right? Because you now need to make sure that something like this doesn't happen again. You've learned a lesson. Yeah. So I've changed studio practices. There's different things, ways I do things to avoid lifting. I ask for help a lot more, <laughs> which is not hard. You just got to wait till Mike comes home and say, hey, can you do this? Um, I, yeah, I just, just change the way I do things and look after myself a bit more. 15 minutes of yoga every morning seems to be working. Great. And I've just got to stick to that for the yeah. rest of my life. That's <laughs> yeah. just it. And it's actually not that hard. No. And it's really good for me in other ways. Absolutely, right? Why aren't we all doing it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it took me a really hard lesson. But one of the really cool things to come out of that back surgery was three and a half weeks of not being able to drive. I actually was not allowed to sit. You couldn't sit. I couldn't sit. you couldn't drive. Bathroom breaks, that's it. That yeah. was the limit of sitting it. Yeah. Sitting. But getting standing up and having your coffee gets a bit tedious. I was going to say you can't sit, but you you probably no, you can can't lie stand down either. and you no, I could stand. Not all day though. Um, well, to start with, you're pretty much prone on your back for a week. Yeah. So that's when you just binge out on Netflix. Yeah. Done that, and then I was really seen everything you need to see. Yep. yep. And then my brain was just starting to fire up, and I hadn't had a quiet brain for so many years. I just had so much space. I had a quiet house. I couldn't drive the kids to any after-school activities. I couldn't. I was a void of responsibilities, and it was like an awakening. I was going to say, didn't you, did you go insane, or did a good thing come out? No, it's a good thing. Yeah. I just, I just learned to live at the slow pace. Oh, you slowed down. So I just started drawing. So we've got a week of TV. That's gone. I'm starting to feel a little bit better. I can walk around the house, but dottery, that sort of stuff. Still lying on my back. Lots of drawing started planning an exhibition that I had coming up, which was going to be based around the big, heavy pieces of work. And at this stage, you were optimistic that you would get back into the studio and you would be able to practice again? Yep. Yeah. But I needed to come up with some new work. Yeah. I needed to come up with work that was lighter. Everything right. I've been making was 10kg. Everything that I... No, I've been making smaller stuff, but everything that I wanted to make... Was big, was, heavy. Was big. And that just wasn't going to happen. Right. So I started drawing a few basic forms, and then I just came into the studio, and I, and I just spent two weeks working really slowly modelling wax. I never spend two weeks making wax. I'd be lucky if I spend a whole day at it. Oh, wow. Because there's that schedule. I'm, I'm maintaining this busy schedule of keeping the kilns running, finishing the glass, sending it out. You know, it's... There's lots of different parts to the practice. So I just worked really slowly and deliberately, and I'd make half a piece and have a cup of tea, you know? I see. And then I'd, then I'd think about that, and then I'd, you know, poor old Jenny was getting barraged with emails. <laughs> Once my brain to... started in gear, mate, it just, woof. <laughs> but she was ready. She yeah. soaked it up, and yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. you better get your ass over here. There's things to show you. Yeah, that good support of Jenny. And I'm working towards a show that her and I were having in Dunedin. Yeah. Uh, now, today? Or no, I then, was sorry. then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah. I was then. Right. You know, and she's got all her paintings finished, pretty, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. I'm going, eek. <laughs> so some of the best work has come out of that. From that period there? Oh, where you were I, I designed this whole new series called the Navigator Series, and I'm so proud of them. And they're telling good stories and, um, and their motive works starting to come out. So I've spent 10 years technically making... I know how to make glass. Um, you know, I'm honing my skills just by turning up to the studio every day, but now I'm drawing in the emotion. That's what it's about for yeah. this last. You needed that 
that rough time and that time effectively out of your studio to realize this, to put yep. you in this space? I didn't know that I needed to work like that Yeah. till I got put in that place. So now I've labeled it, you know, a best practice approach and I'm planning on having one of these self-imposed residencies. I don't think I'll go and have surgery. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll just actually just clock out. So, yeah. you know, I'd clocked out of galleries. I told them I'd be unavailable for six weeks. I made sure I had no commissions, no award jobs on, yep. anything like that. Um, and that's what I need to do. I yeah. actually need to yeah. slow the thinking and just have a period of not needing to make. Is that going to be an easy thing for you to do? No, because I don't know how I'm going to get away it? with not uh, getting rid of all the other responsibilities. Right. <laughs> that's the problem. I'm a mother. Oh, but, you yeah, know, yeah, 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 yeah. There's always all that stuff. Yeah, because but my kids are 12 and 14 now, and uh, gee, two years, one of them will be driving. Yeah. So it's changing. I'm going to have more space, mm. and I'll be able to create that. And, and you're gonna, you think you're gonna stick to this? You think you're actually gonna do this? I've got to do it. You have to. You know that. I think I've got to do it when I need to change direction, um, and it's exciting. But I, you know, maybe it'll be done in a different way. Maybe I've got to go away. Yep. to do it. The good downside good of that is I'm so used to having my own studio for the making yeah, and that. So I do occasionally, and look, I try and have a summer break. I try not to be in the studio in January. I'll have the oh, kilns running because yeah. then I something... think I'm working. Okay. Is there <laughs> always something in the kiln? Is there pretty much well, you see, I can fill summer with one piece, one of those room pieces. Yeah. It's a month, yeah. you know. <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty much bang a couple of those in and yeah. it's ticking along and something's happening. Yeah. So that period of forcing yourself not to work and spend time with the family then gives me renewed energy. Brilliant. That's such a good learning, eh? It's, well, you had to go through a really tough period to learn Yeah, that. and I actually have to do it on a weekly basis. If I try and come in here for a late night or do a Sunday, oh, I just can't front up Monday morning. Right. I, I just, the energy's not there. So it's taken you 10 or 11 years to sort <sighs> to of learn this, out. right? Yeah, but yeah. here you are now. I'm just better off fronting up each day, Monday to Friday only. Yep. Yep, that's my Kids thing. are at school, you work. Kids are at school, I work. And that's it, outside of that. Yeah, oh, look, I do, I have been known to have my laptop on the okay. on my lap at night time. Yeah, sure, I do have all. to do, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, 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 but as a rule. A business is, is essentially 24-7, really. Yeah. And, yeah, you appreciate, you do need to do that. And so you've got... You've got quite a few things going on, right, in terms of yeah. revenue streams. I mean, it sounds to me like you've got maybe three or four different, at least three or four different things going on that on, could stand alone on their own or all contribute a bit towards your revenue. I was in your studio today and you were doing awards, right, which you just briefly mentioned before. So you're producing these beautiful pieces of art for tourism awards? Yep. And, so, and you have other clients like that? Yeah, so I've got a few clients. Um, I do, yeah, the New Zealand Tourism Awards. That's a a beautiful job that I love doing. It's a big job. It's 13, 13 of those class awards. So these are works of art that that these people get. They're pretty Absolutely. special. They're Daitoka works of yeah. art. Yeah. yeah, and that's the only way I'll do them. So if anybody comes to me and they say, oh, we'd like you to do this, I go, well, I'm not the person for you. Right. Yeah, so it's got to be something that I've designed and produced and happy to put my name on. That reflects their organisation. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, it's got to fit and sit really well with them. Yep, but you've had to work on it. Yeah. Yep. Do you turn down a fair amount of work? I do, Oh, because I get, usually because of deadlines, because yeah. they come to me just way too late, hey, and I can't do them. Hey, we want this next week or next month, yeah. and you just physically can't do it? No, and so a new, a new 
job like that is at least six months out from their first event. Right. And then I'm looking at the ongoing. So I'm also looking at does their diary of when they have their event fit with the rest of mine? Because I can't have too many jobs on at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Or are you prepared to pay me early and I'll complete them earlier? You know. I'm open to that. Yeah, you're, if there's That's a bit more fine. money involved, you're, you're talking. Well, no, I'll just I'll just, just shift the timeline. Yeah, if you're sure. prepared to be organised and tell me how many you want six months out, I'll make them in that time slot. Yeah. And, and you were telling me before that even now in August, you're thinking a little bit about Christmas and the fact that, am I right in saying that some of the galleries might yep. want a few more pieces because Christmas I've got is to think that far in advance because I, I'm, I've, when the kilns aren't running, so I've got two kilns, um, when they're not running, I get a bit antsy. I'm like, oh, it's downtime. Absolutely. It's wasted. They're not being productive, right? Yeah. kilns, yeah. Yeah. But there's also only one of me, and the work, I have to finish the work that comes mm. out of them. Logistically, it's a good challenge uh, for you to actually make sure you're doing yeah. the right things at the right phase the whole year yep. through, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. So I don't work on, I don't work on like one lot of work and then it's finished, and then yeah. I start the next one. There's this revolving. I something's in the kiln. Something's had a mould made. There's waxes there that I'm thinking about. Yeah. Pieces on the windowsill that are finished that I'm just living with yep, yep, before yep, they yep. go out. Ideally, there's something in every you, single phase, right? Pretty much. Yeah, and then yeah. Your, your production line's kind of running as smooth as it can, I guess. Yeah, and then, and now the, the upside of that is every day's different. Wow. Yeah, so that's the other exciting thing about um, the process of casting glass is there's so many facets to it. Right now, can you imagine yourself doing anything else? Is there an alternative dye talker that's actually doing something else, or is glass art you? Me and glass are one, pretty much. They're just like people say, "What do you? What are you going to do when you retire?" I always say, "Actually, I don't think I'll retire." There's no retirement. There's no retirement, because I'll always want to make. I'll probably. I'm not going to probably put work out to galleries, uh-huh. but I can't see myself without a glass studio. That's I'll probably be making some random stuff by then. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be all the stuff that was down in the pile that I never thought would sell, but I'll just get to make because I want to make it. And I might what, go back to teaching then. What's stopping you making some of that stuff now? So you've got this commercial head on you where you're saying, you know what, I've got these cool things, but I'm not sure they're going to sell. Are you always thinking about that? Are you always no, no, the selling bit actually doesn't usually come in until after the work's made. Wow. But then I'm usually making work in a series. So some series will have a very short lifespan because they just didn't work. I've heard about the importance of series quite a bit before. From, an, from other guests, mm-hmm. and it's not applicable to just art. It's applicable to books, and it's applicable to other art pieces as well. And so this is something you work in as well? Series, are, well, for me, I don't know what it's like for those other artists, but for me, series allow me to um, hone my craft. They right. allow me to get better. So because you're making a nearly repeat of something, you can improve it. And you can make another one, and right. you can improve it. Right. Up to a point where you're Up sick to a of point. making it? Yeah, or it's done its lifespan. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and I have killed some series. Uh So the little figures, the abstract figures that I left uni making that really stood me in good stead for, you know, four or five years of my practice, one day I just looked at them and thought, actually, I don't love making you anymore. Yeah. So. The end of that. That's it. Moving on. Am I right in saying that there's a whole lot of other ideas that you'd also rather be doing as well? Like you just want to start exploring other things? Yeah, but you know what? Cast glass, you've got to have patience, Jason. Yeah, sounds, sounds, <laughs> so, sure it would work well so, so, yes, the, but things take a long time to evolve. 
mm. you know. I'll put a test in and then I'll need to polish. I'll have to make the time to polish that up to see if it's going to work. And I'm utterly fascinated. I've never, I've never chatted to an artist who's doing something that seems so foreign to me and seems like such this beautiful mix between art and science. And I'm so intrigued by what else is going to come out of here. And I need to, I just need to soak up some more of this. This is awesome. It's <laughs> very, very weird. I've taken a lot of your time, Di. You've got somewhere to go very soon as well. So we're going to wrap this up. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, ask you just a couple of really really quick questions one of the things i'm curious on is looking at your studio there do you play music in your studio yeah and what, absolutely. Are you yeah what are you listening to during the day oh I, I like pretty calm music so um oh except when i'm grinding glass you've got like, <laughs> <laughs> when you're grinding glass and you've got your earmuffs on and it's really loud like it's you a horrible up, noise you turn up some loud music talking heads Oh, right. <laughs> it's got to be talking heads <laughs> because the beat goes over the top Funny. of the grinding. Uh -huh. But any other day, like so that and um, yeah, I'm always attracted to female vocalists. Right. For me, and I'm having a revisit to my 80s of Suzanne Vega at the moment. Oh, brilliant. Which is really because she's just been to New Zealand. Uh -huh. Um, and I went and saw her 30 years ago. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you see her this time as well? No, unfortunately, no. I was a bit disappointed. Yeah, but hey. Okay, so some calm music. Some yeah, calm music. I'm pretty. It's pretty chilled. Yeah, yeah. I like. Um, I like a range of music. Yeah, I really like London grammar. Um, yeah, different artists like that. I like Kiwi artists. Um, I'm really into Tammy Nelson's Sassafras at the moment. Oh wow, she's I'm got. With that. Oh, she's yeah. got this. Um, oh yeah, some funky tracks. Good stuff. Okay, you're exploring yeah. music as well. I like that. If you had to sit here on this podcast and give one piece of advice to anyone who's listening that could really help an artist look after their future, get better, grow, whatever it might be, what would you say? What's your one bit of advice you want to pass over? There's a couple of parts to this. You've got to get good. Okay? You've just, you've got to get good. You're going to leave art school and you're going to think you're good. But actually, you're not going to know till 10 years later that you are okay. Okay. You might be really good. You might be lucky. So to get good, the only way to do that is to hone your craft. Now, I say hone your craft because I'm a maker. So that just involves making and making and making. So the upside of taking on repeat commissions like awards and doing reproduction work and what people might term as bread and butter is that you get to make and make and make. So you've got to do that. And to use your terms, you said just turning up in your studio just every day. Just turn up. Turn up. So you've got to front up. And you know what? If you feel crap, just get your blackboard and write the list of what you've got to do each day. And or that day, write that list and put one foot forward and follow the steps. Just work your way and through And just it. do it. And those are the crap days. Yeah. And then the other days, you ain't going to have to write that list. Cause you're, you're yeah, because you're fired up yeah. and you're just in there. Cool. But turn up. Turn up. <laughs> turn up. And the rest will just happen. Beautiful. Yeah. Fantastic. And one final question. Every single guest gets asked this. You've probably heard it oh, before. Damn, I know this question too. <laughs> and I know my answer. Awesome. That's what I want to hear. It's a road trip. We're in Cambridge and we're going to head as far south as we can. Maybe Bluff. Who's your companion in the car? Oh, I'm sorry, Mike, but I'm going to take Jenny. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Jenny. I love it. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I can see you two having a whale of a time heading down south on this. That would be amazing. Hey, thank you, Di, for your time. I really, really appreciate your time. I appreciate your openness, your honesty with me, and your sage advice. So thank you so much. You're extremely welcome. It's been a pleasure. Welcome back. How amazing 
was that interview. I feel like maybe I say this every week, but that might be one of my favourites so far. There was such goodness in that interview. There were so many good things that came out of that. I've made so many notes. And the interview surprised me. Even though I'd prepared, I'd researched, even though I'd spent a couple of hours with Di in her studio, understanding her process, she still threw a few curveballs. She still brought a few things out. She still surprised me, caught me off guard. I loved it. There were a lot of really cool things that came out of that interview. There's a lot of things I'd like to share with you, but I'll try to keep it brief, and I'm going to limit it to three. I could easily talk about the fact that Dice sits with her artwork a little bit. I think that's a really important thing for all of us to do, no matter what we're doing. I could talk about the way that she works with her galleries and that she builds her relationships. She doesn't just throw her art out there and hope it works. She's actually working with them. I think that's a really important thing. But for me, the first thing I loved was her curiosity. The fact she's constantly learning. She got into this glass world based on some night classes. She took a few different things, always looking to learn, and one of them really stuck. And she said to me afterwards, she said, I can't not do this. This is her thing. And it started from a night class. Sometimes we're so wrapped up in one or two main things we're doing that we forget to just open our eyes, look around, try some other things, try some new experiences. You never know where they may take you. Curiosity. I also love how smart Di was about her business. And I love the fact that she became a supplier. She was doing all this hard work, sourcing all these bits and pieces and materials and tools for what she needed to do. And she realised that, hey, in theory, everyone else who's in the same art practice as me is doing something pretty similar. And I bet this idea came from just, hey, let's be helpful. Why don't I just gather all of this and sell it to them? And not only is it helpful, but she's probably also taking a little bit of a margin in there as well. She's an importer, distributor, supplier. And of course, as she said, she has the power of buying in bulk. So she never runs out of things. She gets things cheaper. How smart is that? The factor of support came up quite a few times in this. And it would be wrong of me to dismiss this because it's such an important part of Di's life. First of all, she's got that steady income and that support from her husband, Mike, which is great. But she also realized early on that she needed to involve more people. Her depressive episode, which was only a few weeks long, fortunately, helped her realise that she was alone, and her isolation was one of the causes of this. She had to go through this to figure this out, and now she's got this relationship where Mike is more involved in what's going on, and she's got this beautiful relationship with Jenny, the painter and the glassmaker, someone she knows well, someone who knows her well. They're on a really similar journey, they're experiencing something similar, but they're doing different art forms. So their work complements, but also contradicts each other. And I think that's beautiful. She's not alone anymore. Support comes up as such a common theme throughout all these podcasts. And I don't have a solution for you, but if you really feel like you are alone on your journey, why don't you at least reach out to me and we'll see what we can do to help you. And I'm just going to bring one final thing into here. How many of us take downtime? How many of us clock out? Slow the thinking. Remember back in one of my earlier episodes with Sophia Mintz and the painter? Remember her talking about the ups and downs and the different phases and how she prepares work for an exhibition And then she actually just needs to switch off and do something else and have a little bit of space before the next one. Next week's guest is a writer who talks about the different phases of production and editing in the same way that Di talks about needing to just step away from things. Obviously, she was forced to do that through that back surgery where she couldn't do much else. But now she's realised how important that is. So many of us are stuck into the grind, the producing, the doing 
that we don't actually realize the value of just stepping away. Maybe we should just force some downtime on ourselves occasionally. Why don't you go on a road trip? Have a little holiday. I reckon you need it. So there we have it. The latest episode, episode 15, with sculptural glassmaker Daitoka. Thanks so much for listening. If you really, really love this, if this is inspiring you, helping you go further, jump onto iTunes. Give me a review. Five-star review. I'd love to hear that. If it's not quite doing it for you, send me a message directly. Tell me what I can do to improve it. I'll listen to all of you. Until next week, get out there and create. See you later.